It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to talk about the eighth episode of the third season of USA's Colony. This one is called Lazarus. Lazarus, it's such a hard name to say, but I would like to say that I think that it's just the theme of resurrection, the idea that in the Bible, Lazarus was raised by Jesus, uh, brought back from the dead. And so I feel like a lot of these people were had been laying dormant their actual personalities and the things that they had been doing in the show uh, across the board from Broussard and Will and their like mission and Snyder and his like, you know, uh, delving into trying to create the best colony and all that. All these people were brought back from the dead, you know, resurrected. They, they brought back their, their old ways. So who do you want to talk about first this week? So we're going to get started with that cold open where we find out that we are actually in a holding facility, a.k.a. where the pods are hanging out. And we have this amazing escape attempt by who they, someone they call the outlier. I think they're all outliers. It's as we learn later. It's the outlier holding facility. It looks like it, I don't know, what could have been offshore of Seattle. They gave it a name. They called it Blake Island. Blake Island. Yeah. And so I feel like when you say outlier, you mean when you've like charted something like scientifically, and then you have these results that are outliers. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not the typical. And these are the people who we feel Broussard and Will fall under. They had the moment where he coughed up the green goo. That seems to be the stuff they make you ingest when they're going to transport you or you're in some sort of holding. I think it's like my guess, some sort of nutrition, oxygen rich, right. something you can be in. Like something stasis. for stasis. Stasis. Yeah. I knew stasis. See, my science fiction loving husband, his DNA is inside me now. So I say words like stasis. Yeah, I put my own green goo in her. Yeah, all the green goo. So now we have these like Terminator-esque Olympian man who comes like barging down the hall. Dude, that man could hold his own. He took out how many guys? At what? Five, six? With weapons. He had nothing but his loincloth. <laughs> Barely protected him, Paul. Right. So that whole sequence, him looking the way he did, acting the way he did, performing as well as he did, kind of locked in this whole idea of outlier. Um, they mentioned the soldiers going missing. Mm -hmm. uh, we know engineers, that doctors, all those people. Now we feel like we know where they are, right? And we saw a drone see him with its red lights on, rec recognize him and go blue. Meaning, yep. you know, I, I'm a drone, so I can't just uh, grab you, but I'm, I'm I, but I'm not going to kill you. Right. So, and and obviously the way that like geographically they had created this place. I mean, he couldn't, I guess he could have just dove in the ocean, I suppose. Maybe he seemed strong enough. He's strong like Bull, Paul. He seems like he could have just yeah. been like Aquaman and just swam to the shore. I don't know where exactly you would run to, but it also seemed like they weren't trying to kill him in any way. They were just trying to sedate him, like tase him. Yeah. Because they could have shot him at any time. So the, the thoughts of the pods being something that transfers those people to the hosts for either consciousness transfer or just their own bodies being used for another purpose for the hosts. 
is starting to come into sharper focus. I think so. I think to me, it's very clear. And I don't think that the pods are necessarily anything where you have to be like shot off into space or something. I, I It looked like that, those sort of like tube shape, like, is that the way you get to the factory? And it's like, no, I think we're on to it with the stasis and the keeping them, keeping their bodies alive, but, and maybe sort of matrixy, keeping their brains kind of busy, but at the same time, they're using them in other ways. The most, I think the darkest way to look at it would, yeah. would be, that I know that we're kind of viewed as the labor force for the hosts. Right. But what if what if those are the repopulation uh pods? That's very plausible. So we're trying to keep them safe, alive, um, and and in a place where we feel like we could protect like that small island, even if they exploded the whole colony, maybe being offshore is a way to keep them a little bit more safe. Or maybe they can be moved to wherever they think humanity could thrive assuming that this war that's coming to earth just screws up the whole place yeah you know do you remember that movie i feel like it was called travelers does that sound right with uh jennifer lawrence and um passengers passengers yes sorry i said travelers yeah so um it it was very similar they're little like pods and the idea of like repopulating somewhere else it's a popular theme right now the idea that we have fucked up the earth so badly that we just have to leave like it really that's what lost in space the recent netflix series uh was about yeah so i mean you guys i think that's that's what we're guessing these pods are about um some some brand i like the idea of repopulation because it makes more sense to me that someone who had a body like that and the fighting skills like that and having like soldiers, doctors, engineers, those people might not necessarily be, um, they're not one type of person. It seems like you're getting a good smattering of people that you would need to make up a whole village, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. so I like that. Well, let's get on over to Mr. Bram, who is not an outlier from what we can tell, <laughs> uh, but he, he's well within the the, the, the normal the area. Right. But it seems like he has aspirations, Paul. And he is really to me, you know, we were doing that game before is is Bram more Katie or is Bram more Will? I really feel like he's turning more Will, if you ask me. Original Will, the OG Will. OG Will? Yeah. You mean like pre-arrival Will? Yeah, like, well, no, not exactly pre-arrival. That's as OG as you get. Right. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go OG for Colony. So within Mm. the show Colony. So like to me, him becoming this community patrol officer, wanting to, you know, have a family, wanting to protect Gracie, having this really surrogate role, worrying about Gracie's schooling. Wow, that's a layer that older brothers don't usually take a whole lot of notice. Wasn't that interesting how, you know, you you kind of associate nice place to live with nice school. It just kind of is the way it is. I mean, I don't know. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just the way it is. Sure. And so the Dalton's house looks pretty freaking nice to me. But dad is a cab driver. So I think I see where you're going with that. The idea of like, shouldn't they be in like executive level schooling as well yeah but mom's an intake person she's essentially working at like the dmv and dad's a cab driver so you're right that that is a beautiful home beautiful home but i do think that the idea that schooling could be better elsewhere well bram says it is then i think that that's that his, plausible his his patrolman's job could put him in a place where 
the schooling would have better programs. Yeah, which is very intriguing. It um, is. It very much is. I like it for for this for this version of Bram. I like him better. I like the idea that he is like really trying to work within the system. I mean, to me, he's fully collaborating. They have that scene um, with him and his girlfriend Meadow at the restaurant. She keeps mentioning her dad. There's a lot of mentioning of dad. Feel like dad's going to come up. Yeah. And I feel bad for Meadow because the people that associate with the Dalton slash Bowmans, they, <laughs> they just don't last. They truly don't. I agree with you there. Uh, and I do think that Meadow's dad is going to somehow be, I mean, who knows? Will he be the lead of a resistance something? Will he be something like there? It has to be a conflict for Bram. There has to be some sort of conflict with dad. And he seems to be trying to follow all of the. Oh, I think he's patrol. And I think that's like the anti will right now. So it's going to be like a. And his dad's probably going to be a great guy. Oh, God. <laughs> you know? Probably. So it's going to be a, a situation of like, well, which dad do you pick kind of thing? Oh, God. I, I thought that that scene with Katie, um, when Bram reveals the fact that he has put on this uh, community patrol ensemble, and Katie's like, what's all this? What's all this? And he's like, yeah, well, this is what I'm doing now, and I'm doing it for the kids. And she's all, I don't like you being this way. You know, that kind of, I mean, it seemed like exactly the conversation that she had with Will at the beginning of this entire series. And, and exactly as effective as that conversation. Yeah. Was. And and with Will saying the same thing, I'm doing this for Charlie. I'm doing this for Gracie, doing this for Bram. And now he's sitting there, I'm doing this for Gracie. I'm doing it for schools, all that kind of stuff. It was like, wow, that was like crazy, crazy flashback. I do want to highlight one scene of playing soccer with Gracie and the fact that she's obviously on a soccer team and all that. I think that's great. I like how like much normalcy they're trying to have in this place. I know um, that seems like the uh, if you look around the, the the world and you see like who's playing soccer in their little neighborhood, that seems like this like normalcy uh, line, you know, okay. like are you, do you are kids in your neighborhood playing soccer? Well, then you're doing okay, right? Is that soccer moms, all that? Okay. It seems just very like standard. But there was a line that he said about Merlin to her that I just feel like I want to latch onto. They don't do throwaway lines in terms of like, if they are going to mention a specific like book or movie or whatever, it seems like you're supposed to pay attention, right? Yeah. So he says... To Gracie, you know, you're such a mature 12-year-old. I feel like you're like Merlin traveling back through time. Hmm. What does this mean? What could they possibly be saying to us? I only know Merlin from the story of Arthur, specifically like Once in Future King, right? Mm -hmm. And he was uh, Arthur's advisor, right? And teacher. But that's as much as I remember. So why would a little girl fit that description to me it's the idea of being able to go back in time and i don't want to look read anything into our jacob buster interview in terms of like anything that he like tipped his hand or anything like that because i do not believe jacob did however he was so comfortable with charlie dying i feel like well as a human being playing a part you have recently interviewed emily hampshire yeah. Emily Hampshire's series is coming to an end and her character is no longer going to be there. And she described the heartache she had for never having that character again and how upset she was. It was like losing a best friend. And you even said like, oh, my God, that's so sad. Charlie didn't have <laughs> that same. Right. Right. Like there wasn't that same feel. No. Which 
makes me wonder if perhaps we're going to turn the hands back of time and somehow get back to pre all this crap. I'm just throwing it out there. If you throw out a time travel line, you're going to make people wonder, right? You got to. Well, because I consider that kind of an outlier theory, but this is science fiction. And so we don't know what's possible. Paul Daly, if there's anything I am, it is not average. I'm constantly the outlier, right? In every category. (laughs) Well, let's talk about another outlier causing some trouble, stirring the pot at work. We have old Katie Laurie Dalton Bowman. Uh, maybe she's an outlier in the category of troublemaking, but I don't know about in the any of the other ones. She has miscalculated, wouldn't you say? She has gone to work thinking that Michelle is this soft place to land. Like, hey, Michelle, you'll never imagine that I went to go check out the Winslows and no one's there. And she was like, well, maybe they were out shopping. <laughs> It's like, no, Michelle. I mean, like, no one's there. And then when Michelle's like, why'd you go there? Yeah. Isn't that the big flashing sign of like, Michelle's not on your side? Right. Michelle is, she's not, she hands out the Kool-Aid cup, right? She is. She does. That deep into the organization at this point. So, uh, Katie, stop going to Michelle. Please. I, I hope that I believe in this. She she has realized that and will not continue to go to Michelle. But let's talk about what she reveals and the way that she goes about doing this. So she realizes that the Winslows are not going to a beautiful, lush place in Seattle where they're going to play soccer. No, Paul. No. no. She decides that she's got to follow what the Winslow's path was and see where it actually leads. I appreciated the way she went about this. When we we really, really abused Katie last season and the season before about like not having any type of reason why she was somewhere. There was never any uh, backup story. There was no disguise. There was no nothing. This time, she had her badge on. She had her little stuffed animal. She had a very plausible reason that like, hey, I'm just trying to return this little guy's stuffed animal. Let me start weaving through the lines here a little bit. Then she finds an elderly gentleman and again is like, hey, I'm just here to carry your bag. What do you think? Let me help you. I'll even sit and chat with you on the bus. And he even seemed a little disoriented, wouldn't you say? Uh, Very, yes. So then Don, the bus man, seemed like, you know what? This is a really good, I liked this whole plan of hers. I, I liked what she was doing, which is, is hard for me to actually spit out, Paul. <laughs> what did you think about her getting on that bus and the announcement on the bus? That looks like it was going to go sideways, didn't it? And I thought she was going to be in the middle of something that she couldn't get out of, even even though she had a badge that said, no, I work for you jokers. Um, I thought they were heading toward like the food machines in Soylent Green or something. Exactly. There could have just been like a like a shredder that the bus was just going to drive directly into. Simultaneously, the story with Snyder and Kynes had been revolving around, well, how do you feed all these people? And then oh, man, we show a right. bus going toward a mysterious zone. And so, yeah, I was thinking 
that pre-programmed announcement over on the bus that was like, hey, everybody, good news. You've been chosen to start a brand new colony. I was like, oh, but geez, right? Yeah. Now, Portland sounds like it could have been a lovely place. It seemed reasonable that from Seattle, you could go over to Portland and, and, you know, they seemed like they were doing well enough in Seattle that they could have been expanding. This wasn't so crazy. But you know what my big hmm was? Well, we've made that drive, and they're not next-door cities. I they're mean, not. But my big hmm was Dawn was like a disoriented old man. And that made me feel like- Right. He's not digging in the fields. He's not doing uh, accounting work. He didn't match up with what they said the Winslows were, which was a young family who were, had a strong uh, husband and wife, a an older teenager who definitely could have also been like strong working person, and that they were specifically looking for laborers, skilled laborers. Don, our elderly man, did not match this, which was like instant worry. Like, right. how can Bus D go anywhere good if they're sending the old decrepit man who can't seem to figure out how to get up on the bus and this young strapping family uh-oh, you know, this doesn't seem like Portland is actually a good thing. And plus, there's they were getting off of their buses onto transitional authority buses. That was the big moment, of course, right? That was like, oh, crap. When they got to Portland, they were actually getting on another bus. And if you guys remember, one of Kynes's, uh rules, rules was yeah, that no, no authority be involved in any of his colony moves, which means... They are now being escorted to a colony outside of whatever kinds had put in place. So this was going to be something bad. What do you think Katie's next move is going to be? They didn't show her actually getting back from Portland, but we saw her actually back at the house. They didn't show how she made it back. No. So that was kind of questionable. But the first, she thing she, had to have. first thing she did was she went to Michelle's office and was like, Portland! <laughs> and, and, you know, Katie. that was not... that was. That was tipping your hand, Katie. I oh, mean, I don't think it was tipping your hand. I think you just threw all your cards all over the room, right? I mean, come but on. But see, and that's a Katie move that's like, that's a definite Michelle Katie already told you, quit going to the Winslows. Quit trying to figure this out. Quit it, quit it, quit it. Why do you think Katie went and did like, Portland? Why? Because she she do that? Because she's Katie. I mean, I can't think of a good logical reason. That you would do that once the manager had already basically said, you keep doing this, you're heading for trouble, is basically what it amounted to. And should have said, stop it. Mm-hmm. Like, stop it. You know? Like, you've got case files to go deal with. Why don't you go clear those? I, I don't get it. And and that was like old school Katie in a way that was like, Katie, you're not making any sense. I mean, now you're you're you're... You go back to that part where she just acts like a small child, like she's stamping her feet, like, y'all shouldn't be acting like this. And it's like, but they are, and you're in their world. Yeah. So what are you doing? How do you say it, Bill? What are you doing? That was a terrible impression. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so Katie, she's off on this little world, but I, I do think that this little track that she's on She's got to shut up if she wants to try to do more. She did ask for a hard copy of the people who were sent over there. 
maybe with that paperwork, if she's going to be allowed to keep this job, is going to allow her to find some sort of similarities about these people or something. Maybe she knew that there's a chance that she was going to be shut out of this job because she did ask for a hard copy, maybe thinking I'm not going to have access to that tablet or they're going to change the codes and lock me out of stuff. Or she didn't or want something. the digital paper trail of her looking at those records. I love all of those things. That would have been a, a very smart reason. I don't know if I give Katie full credit for that, but um, I do think that maybe she's going to try to maybe look for some like reasons why these people were picked. I don't know. Where do you see Katie's story going? We don't have that many episodes left for her. Mm, well, there's so much trouble at home and she's not engaging with that, but she's starting to approach Will, like the final scene between them is her approaching Will with kind of a little olive branch like uh yeah. you are you were right is is a pretty good one. Yeah, yes, that always goes well in our house. It didn't get much traction right then, but she, I don't think she'll let it go exactly. She, I mean, we haven't seen all the stuff that got them to this point that maybe maybe she will, but but the character that she has established up until this point, up until the point that we had the little time jump anyway. Yes. She doesn't let this kind of thing go. Right. I mean, I don't think that she's going to walk away from her marriage. I think that she's continuously wanting to, but it's weird how both parents are really walking away from the kids. Um, and I mean, I know that I, I know that losing a child that people can ex express their grief in a variety of ways. I would have thought you would have grabbed onto your kids tighter, not push them away. So that's the only part that I'm a, I'm a little confused. And probably there's people out there, listeners, if you guys know people or have experienced this yourself, maybe there's a very natural process of distancing yourself from loved ones in a way that's like, I don't want to love so hard as I did on Charlie so that I don't go through that grief again. I don't know. I don't know what the, the background is for. We don't have that particular experience, but I would say I think if we lost one of our kids, we would be overly protective of the other kids, like more so. And I would have logically thought that would have been the way people would have go. But it's not that's not the way here. Well, there's this thing called like survivor's guilt, right? True. Yes, and, absolutely. And doesn't That's kind of an individualized way of processing death after it occurs for each person. And isn't it kind of like you find something and hold on to it and, and that's your new thing right then? I mean, how I'm not, I don't, I've never had to go through that particular problem. So I don't know exactly everything that's associated with it, but that would kind of fit like Will diving into his person finding rather than his family and Katie jumping into this stupid refugee job rather than focusing back at home. Bram seems to be the best one adjusting and Gracie's just kind of young to have it fully affect her. Let's move on to our Broussard Will Dr. D team up because we actually get a chance to kind of go back to that old school life of missions and trying to figure out what's going to happen next. So we have Broussard who hilariously when Will says, what's your plan? He goes, meet my partner and get to work. <laughs> he's, he's a man of few words. He does not burn any words. He's... <laughs> so it turns out that, that Dr. D's actual name is Amy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to say Amy or not, or I'm going to keep calling her Dr. D, but I'm going to try to call her Amy. Amy and Will spent a good deal of time sniffing around each other and being very suspicious. Will does not think that she's actually a doctor. He's like, nice story. When she tells her thing right. and she's like, what? Yeah. And bro has to be like, oh, uh, she's fully vetted, which is sort of like sort of 
Broussard, sort of. But okay. There was a lot of Broussard in this in this uh, trio that reminded me of sort of like a married guy, you know, sort of like that, you don't have to live with her kind of thing, you know? Oh my gosh, okay. When she got mad at Will, he got mad at Will. You know what I mean? Okay. But he wasn't actually sore at Will until she got mad at Will. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's okay. that you don't have to live with her kind of kind of thing that that okay, well, since you're mad, I'll be mad. Kind of you know I'm letting you in on husband mindset. I'm here. listening to this. Yeah, this but is you're that's... intriguing. I think that that is super intriguing. And I'm glad that uh that you are seeing that because I do think that they have an interesting relationship. I, it's interesting to me that they haven't given Broussard any type of romantic relationship with her because it actually seems like it would have made sense by now, right? I mean, they're young, attractive people who have gone on this crazy journey together. I mean, it kind of would have made sense. Mm-hmm. I do like that it turns out that Amy has had some sort of ways to pull strings within Seattle that actually did seem to pan out because she was able to get Broussard in and keep him off the grid. Like he doesn't seem to be registered. He doesn't have a cell phone or or anything like he's able to move completely clandestine within the colony. Pretty cool. I like that that she actually like all of her dragging her along actually paid off. I guess rare, important jobs that don't qualify you as an outlier (laughs) still get you status like they did in L.A., that work that seem right? I think so. Yeah. I think that does sound right. So I think that this is a very logical grouping. Thought it was really interesting when Will asked, "Did you talk to Katie?" When when Broussard asked, no. When Will asked Broussard, oh, oh. "Did you talk to Katie?" Oh yeah, and then he said, "I don't think she'd be very receptive." That was a pretty good answer. I loved it, but I also thought, like, "Whoa!" I thought Broussard and Katie had a vibe. I thought they had this unspoken relationship that you're kind of speaking that he kind of has with Amy now. Yeah, and I was sort of like, "Whoa, Broussard!" He's got a new work wife. You've got a new work wife, is right. I was, I was, I was pretty surprised to be honest with you. But I mean, I think he was accurate, and it turns out, I mean. Prashad is just a pragmatist. I totally understand. Like he can't, you know, there's no time for love in the apocalypse, (laughs) Paul. No time for love, Dr. Jones. There's just no time. There's no time. (laughs) So they figure out that they have a new mission, right? If you choose to accept it. Will can be the basically like the uh, getaway driver car, right? And uh, Broussard has ID'd some sort of man here. He calls him the target with a suitcase. He has the same SUV, major security, all this stuff going on. What did you think that they were exchanging the suitcase for? What was that whole part? What did, what was that? I thought it was the kind of stuff that you always see in spy movies, like documentation of something or another. Like, I don't know why digital transfers wouldn't be as good, but um, I didn't think it was like drugs or something like that. So in the suitcase, you thought it was, that's what you thought. What did you think they were exchanging the suitcase for? I kind of always assume suitcases are money. Suitcases or money? That's I kind of always assume. So I ex- I assumed it was money. But what did you think they were exchanging the suitcase for on the other end? What What do you guess that stuff was? I mean, given the whole, everything that happened in the show, through Snyder's eyes, we have seen that Kynes is running hit this colony in a way unlike all the other colonies. And he is dealing with hosts in ways that no one else gets to. Eventually, we find out that there is definitely host technology in the uh, suitcase or in the in the briefcase, so it might be an exchange for other technology that that is needed or or something something like that something 
very involved with with how he's running the colony and the special dispensations that he's been given. Okay, I totally like that. Um, I felt like the way that those whatever those things were shaped, it seemed a barrel like. I mean, am I am I crazy? Did you see something different? Um, maybe maybe that's uh, outliers <laughs> ready ready to be moved over to the oh, Blake Island. Wig? Do you think that's true? Could be. That's wiggy, dude. Because there'd only be a few at a time. Whoa. Okay, weird. That's weird. Ah. And it would be the hosts that would want the outliers, right? Okay. So they'd be willing to exchange, you know, that. Sh- sheets of semi-liquid metal that are yeah, bulletproof. We're going to talk about that for sure. Okay, so so that is what it turns out to be in the case, is these like cool things, which very much reminded me of Terminator. So what was interesting is that the outlier guy that jumped out of the thing and was barfing up the goo, he reminded me of Terminator. You know how he like comes up and he's all nude and he's like, and he's all muscular and stuff. Remember that part? Arnold, yeah, sure. Yeah, Arnie. Um, but then also that goo reminded me of the like liquid, not like metally goo that the other robot dude was made out of the, um, the liquid metal one. Yeah. That guy, liquid metal guy. The T-1000. T-1000. Exactly. Didn't it remind you of bulletproof and all this kind of stuff? Like it just sort of like, I mean, it was a little different cause I guess it didn't absorb the bullet, but I mean, talk to me, talk it, to me about our sci-fi metal. It seemed, it seemed almost liquid the way that it. it he uh, stuck the wand under it and kind of manipulated it and stuff. I mean, it held together and it didn't droop and it didn't sag, but it didn't act like any cloth made on Earth. <laughs> so definitely host technology, we're guessing, uh, of course. What would this be for? I mean, it was, it's so small. Like a super soldier suit or something? Yeah, but, but it, it's so small. I mean, well, is it stretchy? <laughs> oh, maybe it is. Well, you know what it did that was interesting? Whenever Broussard tried to, sh- like, shot at it, and he had that, like, kind of, like, almost like a soda bottle as, like, a silencer over the gun, yeah. right? When he took that gun with the silencer over by the metal, the metal did an interesting thing and, like, and, like wrapped itself around it. Yeah, it did. Now, it's unclear to me whether it expanded to do that. Like, was it only this long? And then in order to get around the bottle, it actually made itself longer, which might imply like if you got up next to it, would it would it cover your whole body? Would it like suck around your whole self? I don't know. Could one tiny piece work or was this more like a sample of it? And so then you like put that in your science lab and you can recreate it. That that was what seemed like it to me. Okay. All right. So you like that? Enough to get you going. Enough to get you going. So it it may it turns out that their mission was successful in actually obtaining the mesh and all that stuff. Very, very similar to getting the gauntlet. Very similar. The alley scene. Think about that. Remember, that's how they got the gauntlet. They got the guy to come in, the, the drone. Remember, they got the drone into the... Um, I'm trying to say gauntlet, but I'm really saying drone. Yeah. When they captured the drone, but they got him into an alley. Yeah. And then they managed to like hold him. That's very similar to what they did in this. Yeah. They got them in the alley, the whole thing. Wowzers Broussard with the, um, what do you call that thing with the punctured thing? Spike strip. Spike strip. I, I Boys get like a different handbook than girls. I don't ever know words like spike strip. It has never come across my my life to know that. I'm always like, you know, those spiky things that are on like a ribbon. <laughs> Some kind of strip. <laughs> <laughs> Roy, Roy, Roy. I totally have a different a different uh handbook than you. But it totally worked. However, what did not work out into Mission Impossible here? Well, the getaway card buzzed out. Um What's up with Will? Like, I mean, 
let's talk about this. The two times that Will completely bugged on this mission. The two times. Well, the first time was seeing Snyder in his Joker purple overcoat coming out of the same building or a, or a close building as their target. So he reprioritized and kicked Amy out of the cab. And he was actually part of the deal. He was supposed to block the alley with the car so that the uh, target's car was trapped into the alley. Amy had to kind of fake it with uh, pulling the dumpster over. What was the second time? That was actually the second time. The first time was when he was sitting in with Broussard and they were just casing the target. And he decides to just hop out of the cab and go bang into the target. Oh, yeah. And that, he said, was in order to expose how many security guards like kind of came out of the bushes when something was going on. The answer was a lot. Oh, the answer was a ton. And they, they were more like secret service than they were like gangsters or something. That is 100% how I would describe them, 100%. So my question, Mark, is what's up with Will? I mean, two times he bugged. I mean, Broussard put up with it the first time. But I mean, Will, you know, what are you up to here? He is operating as a solo guy in a team that will get him something that he needs. He thinks that killing Snyder will make him feel better. So, well, let's get into Will a little bit, a little bit more carefully, right? Because he's worth really examining. He's our main guy. We're feeling pretty, pretty sad about Will and everything's going on with him. So we're going to back it up just a little bit. He is very detached. I mean, very detached throughout this entire episode. Yeah. I mean, if there's a scene at home, he is uh, ignoring or just saying two words to whoever's talking to him, including Katie. And drinking. Yeah, yeah, a good amount of drinking. Not, not, a, not a great pastime. I was really surprised at, like, so his conversation with Amy was really snotty. Broussard brought up Charlie, which he was like, if you bring up Charlie one more time, I'll kill you, right? <laughs> He's yeah. like, and you're like, whoa, you know? When Bram, and the whole thing about the community patrol gets brought up, he goes, good for Bram. Good for Bram. What the what? What kind of response is that? Uh, not in a genuine one because, like last week, he was kind of shitting on the community patrol <laughs> in, like, in his own way. It's... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and then, of course, the coup de gras. We have the whole. Uh, Katie says, "Please stay." He just. All you hear is the slam of the door. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch, Paul. Yeah, he's he's in a not trying anymore mode <laughs> as far as being a husband. I thought he did do a good job of going back and explaining to Broussard why he bugged on the mission. I was glad that they actually took a moment and had him say, listen, here's the deal. I saw Snyder. I want to garrot him at the next opportunity. But here's the thing. Snyder will totally sing like a little songbird. So I want you to snag him. Pump him for our information, and the second you're done. Broussard seemed okay with that. He did. <laughs> he wasn't like, he was like, all right, that makes good sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's move over to Snyder and his little adventure. First of all, what is with this coat? It is, like I said, a Batman villain shade of like wine or burgundy or something. It is not a standard 
men's coat color. Not even a little. I mean, I'm telling you, if you were like Caroline, I need you to go find a wine colored pea coat. Okay. I would be like, Bleh. well, he has been shopping in Europe, so the standards are very different. Oh, over well, there. fashion's very different over there. That's for sure. I don't know. I thought it was bizarre, but I did think that the one little nugget that popped into my head was from Schindler's List, the little girl in the red coat. And there's a lot of World War II stuff that that is going on in this story, right? There's a lot of stuff that they tried to try to make the the transitional authority very nazi-esque right yeah so it was interesting to have a character put in this very like completely different colored coat in a sea of black and white essentially you know that was the thing that stuck out to me now of course that made him very easy to follow when will was ready to follow him well that was the point of the red coat in schindler's list right same thing yeah it was very easy to pick out that one individual little girl and see how she got along exactly so we shall see where that leads however we have a great meeting i thought between kinds and snyder what did you think Kynes uh, is a pretty impressive guy. He's got all this really figured out. He is not very humble about his accomplishments, and he he very much knows what he has. And he's just kind of, for as much as Snyder believes that he is going to be playing Kynes in the next in the near future, I believe that Kynes is probably not giving him. Any really dangerous answers. I really liked how Snyder used his like bow at the feet of the master and basically like needing to learn from kinds when in reality, you know, we know and he he exposes later that no, this is not about bowing at the feet of the master. This is about pumping him for information. Apparently he's getting shit that none of the other colonies are getting. Even people at Snyder's level don't know what he's getting compared to the other colonies. So that's really why he's there is to find out how are they making this food? How how are they getting host technology to help them make their super cabbages? Well, and and it and of course it wasn't clear that it was host technology. I mean, he straight up asked, "How are you feeding all of these people?" I don't know that he thought the answer was going to be host technology. Did you think that that that, that was apparent? Yeah, in the conversation with the jammer turned on, I think he said something along the lines of, yeah, it's what we thought. He's using host technology. Ah, uh, okay. And but of course, I mean, he only shows him the host technology that makes cabbages um, and is, of course, willing to share that. I thought it was intriguing that you could make a cabbage in like three hours. That was kind of rad, right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Like a time ray or something. I, did, I really liked that Snyder pointed out, does it worry you at all that you have to wear a hazmat suit in order to make your food? I think people wear hazmat suits to make our food now. <laughs> so. Oh, that's probably true and gross uh, and yeah. sad and yeah. weird. But yeah, you're totally right. That's probably a little. Do you think that was a little commentary? May, it might have been. Maybe Ooh. maybe they're all vegans up there in uh, Colony HQ. <laughs> I like that. Well. I thought that the entire thing was awesome to get a chance to have Kynes actually give us a tour of Seattle and explain how things work. That was amazing. I I appreciated taking a moment because we really didn't have to anymore. You know, we had an opportunity to see how the place was working. And so they didn't have to give us this little extra nugget. They could have just had us you know, just why don't you just sit around and wonder why they have food and other people don't, you know, I kind of assumed honestly that it was from like better rationing or 
I, I don't know what, because maybe I always got the impression that the reason why LA Block and other places didn't work out was not for really truly a lack of food, but more like they were having cocktail parties and having like all these lavish food things. You know what I'm saying? If like you're using up the resources. If you have a skeptical mind about the colony's prospects for getting a season four, you might start to think that there's filling in more of the little gaps as we go along so that they can finish the story at some point this season. I do have a seeking suspicion and I am a hundred percent with you that I feel like they are doing a really good job of wrapping things up. But as a viewer, it's a little like, Oh, they're really wrapping things up. Are you getting that same vibe? Yeah. Well, I mean, it took, uh, they strung out the, um, the pod thing. Well, we're just getting like, we got one pod thing in the second season. We now have another pod thing in this season. We still don't know 100% what the pods are all about, but I feel like we're closer to that answer by by far than we were in the second season. I think so too. And so, yeah, the I mean that that prison camp where Bram worked, that was that was an outlier storage holding facility essentially, right? We just never got close enough to where the actual outliers were. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and I am I am worried in that regard. And then I guess I want to say, I guess I'm going to take a note from from Jacob Buster and say, like, if this uh, if this is the last season, then at least I really want it to go out with a lot of answers and a lot of um attempt to close all the loops you know like let's not have anything hanging out there I, it makes me very worried because i don't know where else the story is going to be able to go but i do think that if it is going to go at least let it go well <laughs> is yeah that right fair? definitely is that fair yeah so okay all right so then we are basically at this very last moment with Snyder in the bathroom in the hotel with the jammer and obviously trying to get out more information, where do you think Snyder is going to go with this? Will he some way be notified of this mesh material? Is is more going to actually transpire? I mean, are those lines going to cross? I think he still had more schmoozing to do. I thought so too. With kinds. And it's it's because he's got to stick around long enough for Will and Broussard to, to nab him, obviously. I mean, we have not watched ahead. We don't have access to anything more than more than you do at this point. But, I mean, that just seems obvious. It's going to be, you can almost see it in your head. You don't know exactly what he's going to say that's going to get him out of it. But he has had something to say to get him out of fatal situations over and over and over again. It's going to be something that's going to make, that's going to get in the back of Will's brain. It's going to prevent him from pulling the trigger. Mm, I like that. I very much like and it, that. And it might be tied up with this stuff that he's finding out about the the hosts in Seattle and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that we have some huge takeaways. The mesh material of something that is, is, some sort of life saving. I mean, they went through over and over that it's that it's bulletproof. Yeah. Some sort of life saving something. Some sort of pods and these exceptional outlier people. We've got that chunk. Yeah. We've got the idea that like now a good amount of host technology has probably infiltrated our world. 
through Kynes and through everything he's he's doing. He was so calm during the actual attack on Seattle and that whole surrounding area that you know he's got to know a quadrillion other things. It's almost like his building was covered in that mesh material because right. he was not scared at all. Not just about himself. Like, of course, maybe you weren't targeted, but I mean, when things blow up, things fall apart all around that destruction is not contained so he but he wasn't scared i mean he was picking his little guitar last episode so he knows more you know there's more technology maybe there's like a bubble around his building i don't know wasn't it interesting when snyder basically said he's back in charge of la i don't know i don't think he's the proxy again but i do think he's maybe the helena do you see that was weird if he do you think that that was real I mean, it seems lame he and like there a to find major out. step back. He found out what they were doing. He was there to find out what they're doing wrong in L.A. I don't, I don't. To me, it seemed like a major step back. If that's the truth of the matter, it, it really felt like that makes no sense. You went from your chalet in Switzerland and to being like the hero and sleeping with women and all that kind of stuff. And now no, you're. I think it's like Helena was, back? was running several blocks from Switzerland. So, so you think he actually heads back to Switzerland at the end of yeah, these things? Yeah. He doesn't go back to right. LA no, in any way. No. Huh. Just so weird. I don't He's know. He's the boss that when he comes, it's like Darth Vader coming to the Death Star. <laughs> it's bad news. Everything that happens in the show is like Darth Vader coming to the Death Star, right? Lots of things. Uh, well, I thought this was a great episode. I really enjoyed all of the different um, family parts getting a lot of movement. You know, I really think we're set up for Meadow and Bram to go kaboom. Something crazy is going to happen over there. Whoa, that was outside, you guys. We're going to leave that in when I do the editing because that was crazy. I said kaboom and then there was a huge thundercrack outside. <laughs> Nuts. Okay, and then I think that Katie and Will, holy cow, something bananas is going to happen. What is Katie going to think when she finds out Will's working with Broussard? <gasps> Betrayer. Yeah, that'd be funny. That could be funny. She'd be like... When I worked with Broussard, you thought it was like this big deal. And- <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you guys, we very much look forward to uh, talking with you guys on the radio. We're going to be on Wednesday nights. And we will not be on this night after episode eight, but we should be on next after episode nine. So please call SMS Radio on air and check us out or t- tweet us anytime on Daily Review or DailyReview.com. Check us all out. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software, our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.